Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also sponsored by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships XL Editions, a special series of large format ships officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Enterprise D for 20% off the regular price and with free shipping. For details and to order, visit www.st-starshipsxl.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 255, Thine Own Self. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we systematically analyze the elements that make up an episode of Star Trek, putting them under the microscope to see if they ultimately are good for us. This week, thine own self, the one where Data invents the scientific method and gets killed for it. You might say that Data feels it in his bones, enough to make his system blow. Is that like a song lyric or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Interesting. I'd have said, um, don't you stand stand too close, because you might catch it. See, that's also a song lyric. That's mm-hmm. Radioactive by The Foim. <laughs> Good. <laughs> or The Firm, if you speak English, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Hey, John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first... But first! A word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. When you hear about the care that Blue Apron takes with um, with getting its ingredients together for you, uh, with changing up the recipes for you, with delivering food straight to you, you might think it's a lot of money. But it's really not that expensive. I mean, if you're eating off the dollar menu every day, then yes, it's pretty expensive. Otherwise, it's actually quite affordable. Yeah, for less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And if you're like me, it'll step up your own cooking game as well, because they're going to send you recipes with ingredients you've never used before. You, you might not have even heard of some of them, but you try them, you like them, and the next time you're at the store, well, it's like going to a new store. And speaking of the recipes, um, fire up the nummy sound effects, John. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. <laughs> because we got a few here. Uh, of course, there's a the big customer favorite, the seared chicken and roasted fall vegetables with caper butter pan sauce. Mm, caper butter pan sauce. That's my middle name. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's a 30-minute meal, uh, shrimp and pesto fettuccine with spinach. Hey, hold on a second. I'm going to make my own nummy noise there because uh-huh. pesto is like one of my favorite things. So let mm-hmm. me just say... Mmm, exactly. Okay. Yep. Uh, black bean and cheese tortas with roasted broccoli and lime sour cream. Mmm, yeah. And finally, sweet pepper chicken with bok choy and rice. Boom, that's the one. That's that's the one I want right now. Okay, that's yep. cool. I'll get the one with the uh, with the pesto shrimp. You get the uh, the chicken with the bok choy and rice. And oh, what a time we'll have. <laughs> well, the good news is you, you would probably get a, a variety 
of meals and you have them in your fridge and they're ready to go. Hey, I mentioned before about the uh, Blue Apron process kind of kicking up my own cooking game. It's what I really like. I keep those recipe cards. There was a dish that I made that was a pork loin that you just kind of rolled it in salt, pepper, and seasoning, seared it off in a, in a cast iron skillet and then threw it in the oven. And I, I have to tell you, this is one of those things that came out perfectly that I've never been able to get quite right before. But I held onto that recipe card, but it was so easy and so good. And it's something that I can do from here on out. Uh, so I really appreciate the idea that, uh, that once I learn a technique from Lou Apron, I can stick with it. Yeah. And, you know, the cards, as you say, I mean, they become, they're not like the little tiny recipe cards like your grandma had. I mean, they're actually, you know, giant cards that show you exactly how everything should look and how you work. And there's nothing to stop you from keeping those cards, because even though they're sending you the, the pre-proportioned ingredients, they're also telling you exactly how much you're using. So if you really like that one, uh, go back to it again and again and again and again and again. So check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log and with that, we turn it over to the Trivia King, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Champion. How about it, guys? So, trivia on today's episode, Thine Own Self. The story is by Christopher Hatton. He got his start as a writer by submitting stories through TNG's open submission policy. We mentioned him one time before with his credit for the story for Gambit Part 1. And this is his final contribution in the Trek world. He has since written and produced a number of low-budget films, many with a sci-fi setting. Now, big influences in this story from Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's classic story. And yeah, everybody was well aware of that and definitely embraced it in the making of this episode. The teleplay is by Ronald D. Moore. We last talked about him as the writer for The Pegasus, and he's got two more episodes of Next Gen to contribute. And today's episode is directed by Wienrich Kolbe, one of our standby directors in TNG, and this is his next-to-last episode for the series. And this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Art Direction, and we do have a reference to a previous episode, The Quantum Filament, which was a reference back to Disaster. Disaster! Well done, Ken. I Thank remembered you. this Thank week. I remembered, that. yeah. Good, good. And uh, there is a deleted scene if you're watching the Blu-rays. So the little girl, Gia, explains where the name Jaden comes from, specifically the story of a boy who doesn't look like anyone else. So all the other kids make fun of him. But Jaden never gets mad, and it turns out he's actually a nobleman. Really short little scene there, right when she is giving Data the name. All right, a handful of guest stars to talk about. Uh, that little girl, Gia, is played by Kimberly Cullum. She's from L.A. and started in the industry at the age of seven. 
This episode falls right in the middle of her professional on-screen career. Numerous other TV appearances also led to some recurring roles on a short-lived series, Bless This House, and VR5, and she has worked a little bit behind the scenes since then. Her father, Garvin, is played by Michael Rothar. Uh, His career is heavily centered on theater, where he has been an actor and a director for decades. This role on The Next Generation actually is pretty early in his film and TV career, but there is plenty that came after it. Lots of TV guests and recurring roles, as well as feature films. He continues working as an actor at the time of this recording. Now, Mike Haggerty plays Skoren. We've met him before as a Klingon captain in Redemption 2. He's a Chicago-born character actor who has shown up in a lot of familiar movies. Wayne's World, Austin Powers 2, just a, a ton of TV work as well, including recurring roles on Mob City and Friends. And he was a regular on Louis C.K.'s short-lived series, Lucky Louie. And finally, Ronnie Claire Edwards as Talur. She was constantly working as a performer in both live theater and film and TV. She might be best known for playing Korabeth Godsey on The Waltons, a recurring role which lasted nearly half of that show's run. And when I say half the run, we're talking about a show that lasted over 200 episodes. Uh, She was in the TV movie Inherit the Wind with Jack Lemmon and George C. Scott. She passed away in 2016 at the age of 83. Gather round, friends, and listen. This is a story not to be forgotten, except by the android it is about. Prologue. Counselor Troy has returned to the Enterprise from a class reunion, and she and Dr. Crusher are talking on the bridge. Beverly's taking a command shift. Somebody had to. While this is usually Data's shift, he's away doing cleanup on Barkon 4. Home to an uncontacted pre-industrial people, a satellite has crashed on Barkon 4, so Data will slip in, clean up the radioactive satellite fragments, and slip out. Easy peasy. The Enterprise will be a couple of days late picking him up. Crusher had wanted him to know, but when they can't get in touch with him, eh, no worries. Geordi had said that the radioactive junk Data would be carrying might make communication difficult. That momentarily worries Counselor Troy. But what she really wants to talk about is Beverly's decision years ago to become a commander. Oh, I wanted to stretch myself, says Beverly. I like commanding a starship. Cut to Bark on 4, where we meet Garvin, the town magistrate, and Gia, his 10- to 12-year-old daughter. They encounter a very disheveled, dysfunctional data as we head to opening credits. Act 1. Garvin tries talking with Data, who is doing a great imitation of a mechanical parrot, saying back to Garvin everything Garvin says to him. Data comes back to functionality fairly quickly. He does not know his name, he says. In fact, he remembers nothing except for his walk to the town from the mountains. He has no memory of anything before that. He doesn't even know what the deal is with the case he's carrying. The case marked radioactive. Garvin can't read it, though Data can. He doesn't know what the word means, though. Maybe it's Data's name? With Data's permission, Garvin opens the case marked Radioactive and begins examining the metal contents. Act 2. On the Enterprise, Counselor Troy is quizzing Riker about taking the bridge officer's test and becoming a full commander. Yeah, the class reunion thing? Just as debilitating in the 24th century as it is today. Did I say debilitating? I meant empowering. Also, remember that time Troy was the ranking officer on the bridge over Roe Laren and Miles O'Brien? 
Boy, that was a disaster. Disaster! Not her command. See, the episode was called... <sighs> Never mind. Disaster! Troy tells Riker that she's been thinking about becoming a full commander since then. As her friend, she'll have his full support. As first officer, though, he will be the one training her and deciding whether she passes. And he will be tough. Back on Barkon 4, Data is being examined by the town scientist. Her grandmother would have thought Data was a demon or a monster, but she knows better because... Science. Data is obviously an Iceman. He probably comes from a race of people who live in the snow and ice of the Valorian Mountains. The harsh winter conditions explain his skin and eye color, what with his having come from the land of the ice and snow. The scientist, Talur, urges the Iceman to eat something to regain his strength. She'll be back to check on him tomorrow. Of course, they can't keep calling Data Iceman. How about Maverick or Goose or Mr. Radioactive? No, Gia settles on the name Jaden, though for simplicity's sake we'll keep calling him Data. One more character to meet on the planet, Skorin. He's the town blacksmith, rough around the edges. He finds the warm, malleable metal puzzling, but he can make jewelry out of it. He offers 20 Dorex for half the metal Data's carrying, and they agree. Just then, a base holding an anvil falls, trapping the leg of Skorin's assistant. While Scorin runs to get something to lift the stand and anvil, Data walks over and lifts the stand and anvil. Well, that freaks everybody out. The scientist isn't freaked out. Icemen probably all have super strength. She explains this over dinner at Garvin's place, so she's present when Garvin starts to feel sick. Act 3. Troy's taking the engineering segment of the command test. And failing. She just blew up the Enterprise. You know, on the holodeck. She's passed everything else. Riker tells her not to feel bad. This is the toughest segment of the examinations. And she can go again. But he can't tell her how she failed. She'll have to figure that out on her own. Back on Barkon 4, Talur is explaining to a class of children how we know that witches are made of wood. And Data's like, I do not know why I know you are wrong, but I am pretty sure you are wrong. Basically, Talur is on the road to science, but she's not science yet. She's reasoning by analogy, not by empirical evidence. And he's dropping mad knowledge, and she is not happy being schooled in front of the school children. Class dismissed. We're learning more about Skoran now. He's not just rough around the edges, he's also a cheat. He tells Garvin that they agreed on 15 Dorex for Data's medal, not 20. When Data corrects Skorin, the smithy tells him to stay out of it, but Garvin swoons. His illness is getting worse. Back at his house, wow, a clump of his hair just came out into Lure's hand. She must confess she has no idea what's wrong with him. Yeah, but she'll try to recover. His lesions look like burns. His bodily fluids must be overheating. So keep him cool. Give him these herbs. I'll be back. Data, meanwhile, is marveling over Tolur's magnifying glass, designing an improvement in his head. Tolur is dismissive, though in a way that says she's also interested. With Tolur gone, Data says he'd like to mount his own investigation. Garvin says sure, and the android and Gia set off to find the necessary supplies. In town, though, sentiment against Data is turning ugly. More people have picked up whatever Garvin has, and the villagers, led by Skorin, Blame Data. Act 4. Data has built his better microscope, 
He tells Talur that Gia has gotten sick as well. Talur is no longer dismissive of Data's work because science. So now he's trying to figure out what new thing Garvin, Gia, and Scorin have in common. Talur says they've all hung out with Data, but Data doesn't think that's it, since Talur has been hanging out with Data as well, and she is not sick. Still, it probably does have something to do with Data's arrival. Hey, wait a second, Gia. How long have you been wearing that necklace made of the metal I was carrying? Back on the Enterprise, Troy has blown up the holographic Enterprise one time too many. Riker's decided to cancel the rest of her tests. She's not going to pass. Troy is really angry, but Will is unmoved. As much as I care about you, my first duty is to the ship. I cannot let any bridge officer serve who's not qualified. Riker leaves, but something in his words stays with Deanna. My first duty is to the ship. And now she knows what she has to do. Kill Geordi. Not really. She goes back to run the simulation and does something that she has not done before. She sacrifices a member of the crew, Geordi in this case, to save the ship. This was not a Kobayashi Maru. It was Troy learning another Wrath of Khan lesson. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. Riker calls for the simulation to end. So that's what this was about, seeing if Troy could order someone to their death? She hesitated, she says. She blew it. But Riker says no. When it was time to make the hard choice, she made it. She may not feel like celebrating right now, but Riker tells her she's made commander. Back on Barkon 4, Data has figured out radiation, which he demonstrates to Talur. He sends her off to gather the fragments of metal while he works on a cure. His work is interrupted, though, by Skorin, there to kill Data for the harm he's brought. But when a blow to Data's head reveals not gray matter and bone, but lights and wires and metal... Skorin out. Act 5. Skorin and his people are in full mob mode. They'll kill Data next time they see him. Good thing they didn't search Garvin's house, where they just were, since that's where Data is. Gia's a little frightened, but mostly glad to see whatever Data is. Good news. He's figured out how to cure the radiation sickness being suffered by more and more villagers. All he has to do now is spread the cure by dumping something into the town well. More good news. He does it. Bad news. Scorin spots him and stabs him in the back with a spike. And Data falls. Dead. Time passes, and Riker and Crusher show up in the town, disguised as villagers of Barkon 4. As luck would have it, they encounter Gia, who shows them Data's grave. They killed him because they were afraid of him, but he saved us all from the sickness. The Enterprise retrieves Data and the radioactive probe fragments, secretly, of course. Back on the Enterprise, Data remembers nothing before his walk out of the mountains into the village, and... Troy's a commander now, so the end. Oh, it was a happy ending. Um, it was a 50% happy ending, I would say. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Listen, I'm going to get this out right up front um, uh, because I, I couldn't and I won't be able to. I won't be able to get through the whole episode about a guy named Garvin yeah. without thinking of Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I know, right? All kinds yeah. of names I could have called him. Oh, we can't call you Iceman. I like Goose. I like Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like mm-hmm. Fred. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't that his yeah. name? It was Fred Garvin, Fred, wasn't it? Fred Garvin. Yes. Yeah. Male guy discovering science. <laughs> that is just... It's the first kind of minor reference that I'll make to vintage Saturday Night Live in this episode. I got another one coming up in the next segment, but yeah, I just I had to get that one out of the way right up front. You really can't miss the other ones. Hey, who's mm-hmm. the barber here? Right. Sorry. <laughs> right. That's foreshadowing or something like yep. it. It sure is. So uh, we learned a new term here, and I'm glad that Riker is aware of it. Uh, general Riker bashing. I think it's something that we've all engaged in from time to time. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. what a time Troy and Lavelle would have, huh? Mm, yes. Absolutely. Have you seen the way he sits? Actually, oh. actually I, I sit that way, too. Oh, mm. right. Ooh. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Look, I, I know that I joke about it, and I did just, you know, a, a week or so ago, a joke on our show about how whenever Star Trek visits a not-advanced society, it looks like they raided the Ren Fair. <laughs> well, well, this week, this week, it looks like they raided the Ren Fair. Yeah, no. No, this mm-hmm. week, it looks like they raided the Ren Fair. The, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that not just vaguely, just vaguely, right. like, here's some, you know, yes. medieval-looking outfits, uh, you know. They are, just, they are one flowery headband and one leather mug maker away. Right, pretty from much. From being able to open their own... Uh, their own seasonal theme park here. Yeah, visit the pickle barrel and uh, on your way out. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's how we go. How many giant legs of turkey can you eat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of eating giant legs of turkey, I wondered how long. I wondered how long Data's batteries last, and and what he needs to do to recharge if he's gone for a long time. Like maybe eating mm. a turkey leg. You know? Okay. Yeah, I was going to say. I, you know, I'm curious about that, but I'm also curious how you're going to build that bridge. But I guess you just mm-hmm. kind of did. So you're saying, you're saying that the giant leg of turkey mm-hmm. uh, that you see at, at one of the Disney parks or at a Ren Fair is not mm-hmm. just mindless gluttony. No, it's actually battery recharging. It's fuel, fuel okay. for <laughs> well, for for tourists and maybe Greasy, for data. Nasty. Um, mm-hmm. Salmonella inducing fuel is oh, what you're telling so me. So good, so yeah. good, dude. And I don't know. And, and, well, I like that uh, Tolura recommended that to build his strength, he needed a lot of healthy foods like meat, butter, and cheese. This is a place I want to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Maybe I should have taken that line, and then you could have just made all the nummy noises that you make. Mm, yeah, I'm thinking about it right now. Let's. If we could uh, pour one out for a fictional character, I am, of course, referring to Gia's mother, uh, Gia, another in TNG's long line of children with at least one missing parent. Yeah. You know, let's, uh, let's pour a little bit out for Jack Crusher, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Astor's folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting other people. Oh, uh, Riker's mom. Oh, Riker's mom. Sure. Sure. Deanna's dad. Mm-hmm. Now that we think about it. Right. Yeah. All kinds of people. Picard's mom. Oh, it just keeps going yeah. and going. Actually, Picard's dad, too, now that I think about it, but anyway. Um, Now, we've mentioned uh, at the top of the show, Radioactive, Mm -hmm. um, and and Mr. Radioactive. I thought it was a good band name. (laughs) Not not maybe a great band name, but an adequate band name if you are uh, a cover band of The Firm. Or or you're just a Gene Simmons solo cover band. Okay. The other one. Did he do like a solo album called Radioactive? 
Well, it, no, you remember when Kiss, they did the four solo albums, and the only one that was worth anything at all was Ace Frehley's, and the others are totally forgettable? Well, the one song off of his album that was released as a single is Radioactive. And okay. um, has this great, like, creepy, orchestral, gothic opening, and then it's just a terrible song after that. <laughs> um, okay. But, but, yeah. Was yeah. Beth on one of those? Was Beth on Peter Chris's album, or was that something else? No, no, that, that was on uh, Destroyer. Oh, so okay. That, that was released as a Kiss song. Really? Yeah. That was on Destroyer? Yeah. It was. I thought that was much earlier than that, but okay. That, that's why Destroyer is such an awesome... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the <laughs> 1970s classic Kiss talk show yeah we'll be doing we should just yeah. go we should go be on saturday morning track but just like totally horn in just like you know, get out of the way because we got we got music to talk about we should it'll mostly be you educating me though actually th this was really unplanned but um it, it's kind of funny that uh i was a guest on a kiss podcast talking <laughs> about how kiss fandom parallels star trek fandom <laughs> So it all comes full circle. Yeah, great. I have a relative who will tell you horrible stories about, I can't remember if it's Paul Stanley or Ace Frehley, but one of them really just screwed up his night on stage. That that sounds like an Ace story. So Man alive. When is our KISS podcast? I, I know, right? Oh, yeah. apologies. Oh, apologies, so many. everyone. We're, we're branching out. No, we're branching out. Okay. I, say we, I say we ditch this super train business. No. <clears throat> Don't you ever ditch super train. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, moving on. I like seeing Beverly in command, um, and it, it was interesting to see Deanna go for it as well. Um, but is that the only test? Someone brought this up in a comment to us. The, the, the jump from lieutenant <laughs> commander to full commander is being able to let a crew member die. <laughs> is that the only thing holding back uh, maybe Lieutenant uh, Junior J? I got to say, Worf's not commander, right? No. He's not a no. full commander either. Because no. you'd think, like, ordering people that are death, like, that part mm -hmm. of the test he probably passed, like, the first time. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't you think? Right. <laughs> like, commander, what do we do? Why don't you go kill yourself? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. Way to go. Let's move on yeah. to the science part. Ugh. Can we do yeah. engineering again? Please. Please. Yep. I got to say, really quickly, um, two things about that conversation at the top. Okay. First of all, Totally passes the Bechdel test. I mean, they're talking about data, but they're not talking about data. They're just talking about, oh, yeah, we need to go pick up that guy. But mm -hmm. really, let's talk about, you know, my career. Let's talk about what happened with you on your way time. Let's talk yeah. about, you know, us as two functioning people who aren't hung up on a man. Right. So good, good, good thing there. And, um, and then the second thing, great to hear that we're not going to get over peer pressure in the 24th century. Mm. I know there mm. are doctors and lawyers and such in my past classes. I also know that I am none of those things. Mm-hmm. Though I guess if I ever go to another class reunion, maybe I'll become a doctor. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, Because <laughs> I'll, I'll just get there and I'll be like, oh, he's a doctor. I want to be a doctor. You just do that. You, you take one test. Yeah. It's like, uh, can you allow a patient to die? <laughs> guess well, what? here's the thing. What I'll do is I'll move to the country where they have the old country doctors, you know? Mm. I was learning doctrine from them because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's how that. That's <laughs> pretty <laughs> sure that's how that works. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Good job. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, Starfleet, man, they love their no-win scenarios. Deanna is so ready for it. She's even asking about it. Like, oh, is this one of those no-win situations? She has definitely read about the Kobayashi Maru. We talked about that before. Like, yeah, how, how much is this talked about in Starfleet? They're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're ready. Um, in 
Sub Rosa, not that long ago, uh, someone asked uh, in an email to us if they, no, I'm sorry, it was on Twitter, uh, if they beamed Granny's body out for exhumation, wouldn't the earth collapse in that cavity where they had uh, beamed her out? And someone else suggested that they would fill that with nougat. Uh, Gross. Yeah, just to keep, you know, to keep things solid there. And I thought, well, kind of the same situation here with Data's body. They they had buried Data, and uh, they're mm-hmm. going to beam him out, and then guess what? And they go back, and there's nothing there. Got to fill it with nougat. I'm pretty sure, though, you see, you say to keep the ground solid, mm-hmm. but nougat is not solid. Uh, well, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, like sort of viscous, it? uh, it's a little, little bit more than viscous, but it's less than like, you know, like I would say what you do mm-hmm. actually is you just, you know, you put it in like a solid, uh, solid chocolate granny. <laughs> you could do a solid chocolate. See, I was thinking like those Italian nougats that are a little more solid, not, not, not like the inside of a Milky Way. Oh, bar. see, cause I was thinking like you know. that. Or you could of course have like a, like a granny chocolate shell mm-hmm. that's like filled with yep. nougat. I, <laughs> that might be. Here's the thing, though. Why are we? Why do? Why are we assuming that we're going to beam out her coffin? All we really need. Oh, the just body, beam out right? the body, like directly onto yeah, an examination not? table or something, and then beam the body right, right back in where it was. Yeah, and just beam it right onto the ground. Who cares? Yeah. All we're trying to do is like read her for radiation. Right. right. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. You know, and 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 of course, respect the sanctity of her life. No, totally. <laughs> that absolutely happened. Um, Let's see. Uh, oh, oh, Deanna uh, has to send a holodeck Jordy into the crawlway to repair the conduit uh, where they're going to get warp plasma. And I thought, didn't they all see the Wrath of Khan? Actually, didn't anybody see the Wrath of Khan between <laughs> then and now? Because that's exactly the time that you build a robot to go do this job. It doesn't have to be a fancy data robot. It just needs to be a robot to go do that. Yeah. Are there any exocomps who could talk into it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Just talk call. them into it. I mean, they'd have to understand. Mm-hmm. But maybe we get mm-hmm. three exocomps together and say, all right, so we're either going to send all three of you or one of you is going to step up. Mm-hmm. And by step, I mean hover. But, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm a little concerned about something because I know this is a major plot point. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yes. I can't even pretend it is. Okay. If Troy and Worf keep dating. Yeah. Are they still dating, by the way? We don't know. Okay. If they yeah. keep dating, she mm-hmm. is his superior now. And I know that, you know, Riker was also her superior, but, you know, they had a past whatever. Right. And now she's like a level up from him. Can they still date or do we need to uh, do we need to do uh, Star Trek HR? It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'm sure. Because, you know, right. Worf, Worf can handle that totally. Not. Um, by the way, it was really nice. Kind of a kind of a rarity here. Really nice. To see a guest appearance by uh, by Patrick Stewart as uh, Captain Picard in this episode. Don't know if you caught yeah. that. There. Yeah, it yeah. was. You know, it's it's like every week. I I just keep thinking maybe we'll get something from his character someday. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe they'll concentrate on him a little bit. But uh, yeah, you're right. Good to see him put in a little FaceTime. How could Data not choose the name Mister Radioactive? That name is awesome. I am thinking about changing my name to that. just can't get it off my mind. We will get to the creamy nougat center of this week's episode in just a moment. But first, a word from Eagle Moss. 
and the official Star Trek Starships XL editions. They're large, John, because they're too large to live little. <laughs> they are. The XL edition was created in response to fan demand. The official Star Trek Starships XL editions are officially authorized by CBS Studios and feature premium format starships from across all the Star Trek TV series, plus each of the movies from Star Trek Motion Picture through Star Trek Beyond. And, and they're, they're big, Ken. They're, they're big. And I mentioned before that even the little tiny ships are kind of deceivingly heavy for their size. These, um, you could use it as a doorstop, maybe. It's, um, <laughs> it's a heavy, nicely sized ship. Uh, one of mine took a tumble the other day. <gasps> oh, no. I'm sad to say. And oh, no. and luckily, it stayed together. I, I did have to do a little very gentle bending back into place. Okay. So I'm going to say um, laying it down as a doorstop is not recommended. No, no. Don't do that. <laughs> but, I mean, they really are just amazing, amazing little ships. Uh, each one's gone through extensive reference study and been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. This is some of the biggest work that Eagle Moss has done, actually, um, which is which is cool because, I mean, they, they always do amazing work on the detail on the tiny little starships. Well, you blow the things up. I mean, not, you know, explode them, but you make them bigger and you've got a chance to, you know, really uh, study the detail a bit more. Uh, the ships are die cast. They're hand painted. They come with an in-depth magazine featuring meticulously researched info and artwork. You know, I love these things because they tell you not only about the design here in our universe, but then... Stuff about the history of the ships in the Star Trek universe. It's an incredible package uh, that you get. And it all comes with a uh, special collector's stand. Uh, so you're not just, you know, using them as a doorstop for crying no, out loud. They're actually, you know, up. Yeah. <laughs> They're up and displayed. And um, I, even the stand, even that is just crazy. Because they don't just like, you don't just like stick it on a on a post. They've actually found a way to make each stand individually for each ship. So that each ship appears to be flying but without changing anything about the look of the ship itself. It's, I mean, it's uh, uh, the level of detail and care that they take with every one of the ships they make is, uh, is pretty stunning. Yeah, and here's the thing. You can subscribe risk-free, starting with the 8.5-inch XL edition USS Enterprise NCC-1701D for 20% off the retail price plus free shipping. You'll also receive three exclusive free gifts worth $100 as part of your subscription, and you may cancel at any time. Additional ships will arrive monthly for the same 20% off and with the same free shipping. Or you can buy just the ones you want. Pick and choose your favorite XL Edition ships online and pay the regular price. In addition to the Enterprise D, other XL editions now available include the original USS Enterprise in CC-1701, the Enterprise E from the Next Generation movies, and just landed the 22nd Century Zone Enterprise NX-01. The choice is yours. All you got to do is choose. Visit st-starshipsxl.com. That is st-starshipsxl.com. And do it up. I'm sorry. And make it so. We couldn't make do it up really catch, could we? No, it didn't. Uh, it just didn't get her done. Uh, yeah, get her done. Yeah, yeah. or just yeah. I, I short to just get it. Just, just <laughs> get, get it. it. Yeah, get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you're enjoying this uh, General Riker bashing. Mm-hmm. It's a sport. Yep. They talk about it on um, eh, some sci-fi show. All right, I got a question. Yep. Why is Picard the only person who gets to walk around with a secret society in his brain? No, how do you know? Picard's been through a lot, 
But uh, okay, so the conceit of this episode is something happens to Data, mm-hmm. right? And he loses his memory, mm-hmm. and he walks into the village, and slowly he begins to sort of uh, rebuild, you know, his own way of thinking, his own his own self, if you'll, you know, pardon me, borrowing part mm-hmm. of the title of the episode, mm-hmm. and then uh, yeah, that's done. <laughs> End of the episode. There's no Garvin in his brain. There's no Gia in his brain. There's no Scoran in his brain. All that's in his brain is everything that happened right before. This episode did not happen as far as Data is concerned. And I'm wondering why. I mean, I get giving him amnesia so that we can watch him relearn things and so that people can learn through him. Mm-hmm. I don't get making him forget it all in the end. They're like, oh, well, it looks like you had quite a time and you made a little friend, but doesn't really matter. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a bit bothered by that um, because there wasn't really a, a point to it. It wasn't something that he had no. to forget. And actually, it's beneficial if he right. does remember because, hey, here's this you know, pre-industrial society that we should probably stay away from and maybe every now and then check in and make sure they haven't rediscovered something radioactive by accident that we might have left there. Um, <laughs> but, no, it's okay, though, because Cora Beth actually knows how to deal with that now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But, I mean, but here's the thing. You're, you're talking about something that actually – from the other way around comes up the beginning. Why is it that Data has lost everything about his identity and his memories, but he knows all this other stuff? He, he mm-hmm. knows things about, well, how science works, one might say. And I, I guess we just have to get it out of the way right up front. It did actually come up in a comment um, preceding the recording of this show, which is that, yeah, you know, we just have to take the whole premise with a grain of salt that data remembers everything except who he is and at the end remembers nothing about what just happened and and it's one of those that you just say well that's the way it works because that's the way they decided to write this story now i feel like they could have just as easily written it where he remembers at the end he actually gets to file a report about what happened i understand making him forget to get the show going because that's how amnesia on television works Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how to speak, you know how to read, you know how to do everything, but you don't remember who you are. You don't know the people around you. You don't know how you got to the place that you're in. That's fine. But generally speaking, that doesn't end with somebody hitting you on the head again and you forgetting the last four days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you get to add that knowledge to, you know, everything else that comes after. Mm-hmm. I, I just it kind of bothered me because we get to the end of the episode and it's like. So nothing happened. Nothing happened in this episode. Really, as far as our crew is concerned, except Data was missing for four days and uh, and Troy's commander now. But as far as Data's concerned, really nothing happened in this episode except he you know, like went off ship, he did his mission, he came back, and he lost four mm-hmm. days of time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, I, I wish it hadn't happened that way. <laughs> I really <Me> too. do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll forget about it by next week, so it's fine. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, we mentioned early in the show Fred Garvin, that that was the first Saturday Night Live reference, but the, this other one is just so, look, if you don't know your 70s Saturday Night Live like I do and like Ken does, you really need to go back and watch. Yeah. Uh, download the SNL app and look up Theodoric of York, Medieval Barber. This was a character that Steve Martin played. And, and here's the thing. I watched this and I thought Ronald D. Moore must have just watched a rerun of Saturday Night Live because <laughs> Tallur's description of Data is almost exactly from that sketch. 
she she says when she's trying to figure out who and what data is she she's very smugly says well, my grandmother would have called our friend here a demon or a spirit or some kind of a monster but current scientific methodology allows us to dismiss superstitions and then she gets it all wrong and creates the story about the ice man right um Theodoric of York had this fantastic bit where so he's a barber in this medieval village, and uh, I, I think it's Jane Curtin brings in Lorraine Newman as her daughter, who's clearly dying. <laughs> and uh, Theodoric says, why, just 50 years ago, they thought, that it, they thought a disease like your daughter's was caused by a demonic possession or witchcraft. But nowadays, we know that Isabel is suffering from an imbalance of bodily humors, perhaps caused by a toad or a small dwarf living in her stomach. <laughs> and of course, it's Steve Martin, so that smug delivery is so perfect. Um, but here's what's hilarious about that sketch. So you get to the end of it. And, and he has this moment after Jane Curtin's character has called him out and said, you know, you're a charlatan. You don't know what you're doing at all. And then Theodoric says to himself, well, maybe we barbers should test our assumptions analytically through experimentation and a scientific method. And the sketch ends with, nah. Nah. Right. Right. Yeah. There was a there was a similar one with a Theodoric medieval lawyer, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, the judge. Yes. 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 Maybe yeah. one day it'll be decided by a jury of one's peers, maybe nine or 10 or 11 or 13. <laughs> well, somewhere between 11 and 13. Right? <laughs> it goes right. on from there. And of course, it ends right. the same way. Nah. So this episode yeah. is that sketch. It, it mm -hmm. is, you know, leading these people right up to the point of, uh, first of all, thinking they've got it figured out, that they're so much more advanced than, than even a generation or two ago, and then getting them right up to the edge of, of a new breakthrough. And, and actually, Tulur is pretty much going to go there, yeah. but, but I, I love that it, it takes her time to get there. It doesn't take her that long, though. I love the fact that she is, well, I love her character. And we yeah, can I talk too. more about that later. But I mean, basically, I love the fact that, like, when 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 Data is looking at her magnifying glass, he's like, you know, you can make this much more magnifier, and uh, and she takes it back from him. Mm -hmm. But she's obviously thinking about what he said, and it's not even like you know, it's not even like at the end of um, Mirror Mirror, I guess it was. Was it Mirror Mirror? When when you know Alt Spock says, "I will consider it." Yeah, right. I mean, it, right. it's one of the neat things about her acting. Honestly, as you can, I mean, like she's saying no, but but on her face, it's like, hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and and it's uh, it's it's really. I thought that was really really well done. Yeah. Um, talk to me about heaven, John. <laughs> What's up with the talk between Data and Gia about heaven? I know it's supposed to be a nod to us, like he knows there's something more than what they're seeing, yeah, but we yeah. also know he knows that because he's a robot, and we've been following him for six and a half seasons. Is he not actually going to confuse her a bit when she's like, oh, Dad told me that Mom went to, you know, some place that, uh... Where they, they they won't ever get older and they won't ever die <laughs> or they won't get sick and they won't ever die. I'm sorry, I stole your thing. I stole your thunder. No, that's there. it. That's but it. Gar that. Garvin told Gia that her mother went to the cocoon planet with <laughs> Wilfred Brimley. Yeah, <laughs> and she'll be sure to eat her oatmeal and avoid the diabetes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, why is he? Because I mean, again, it's a question for the writers, really. More than eh, it doesn't matter. She's fake. She's not even a real character. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> like why she's like, do you think there's a heaven? And he's like, yeah, there's totally a heaven. And then he's gonna leave. Eve, and then Cora Beth's going to be like, science. And she's going to be like, yeah, remember that time Data told me about heaven? Mm -hmm. Remember how we believed him? 
about radiation. He was right about that. So there must be an afterlife, too. Right. You're well, kind of, you're muddying, muddying the celestial waters here a bit, aren't you? It, you are a little bit. Although, you know, from Data's perspective, maybe there's there's that thing firing way, way back in his positronic brain that um, the idea of being on a starship that has, you know, replicators and warp drive limited to warp five and um, <laughs> and his friends and air conditioning and, and all of this stuff that that does seem like heaven compared to this little, you know, Renfair-ish yeah. town. Because to me, I would be thinking the same thing. Like, yeah, there, there may not be an afterlife, but um, we've got it a lot better on our fancy starship way up there in the in the stars, and then you've got it here. He just, uh, you know, he didn't know how to phrase it. So he's like, yeah, there, there, there is a heaven, and um, I'm going to be hopping on that ship pretty soon, as soon as we get things figured out here. Well, no, I sort of get what you're saying. The only thing is... Um I don't know. I mean, it seems obvious that Garvin was talking about heaven, and yes, the way they yeah. the way they phrased the question was, "Do you think there is a place like that among the stars where people don't get sick?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, yeah, I do, because <laughs> <laughs> I got a room there." Yeah, um, but it's like literally a physical room. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, I'm 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 really worrying a lot about this, you know, girl who doesn't exist on this planet that doesn't exist. It was just an odd moment of writing to me. It, it was a little bit odd, yes. Um, now, here's another uh, kind of interesting thought, message mm-hmm. in this show. Um, mm-hmm. We like to kill things that we don't understand. And, and maybe not literally, but uh, mm-hmm. but as soon as information challenges what we already believe, since uh, this is all wrapped up in identity, our, our brains kind of go into overdrive trying to snuff out the offending data uh, pun acknowledged, though not intended. Um, so I, I haven't read as much about uh, Galileo Galilei as I would like to, but we all know the basics of the story. He was a scientist who was a big, big advocate of the uh, heliocentric model of the solar system. And, um, well, he was straight up punished for that and died in prison. So mm-hmm. uh, it, kind of a similar parallel here with the guy who shows up with something that, that challenges their ideas of, of who they are and how the world works. And, 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 and yes, yes, data is partly to blame. I'll come back to this in the last part of our show. He is to blame for bringing this thing that made them sick, but they have the intent all wrong. The, the, the why is the thing that they don't understand. Um, so I, I thought that was uh, kind of an interesting thing here. I, I was reminded of a comment that I heard from, I believe it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, it sounds like something that, that he would say. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that if all the world's religions, uh, if their holy books disappeared tomorrow, new variations on those religions would crop up in no time, but they would all be a little bit different. Because their stories that get told over and over again and kind of morph over and over again over centuries and centuries and centuries. If all science textbooks disappeared tomorrow, we'd have to recreate them. And it might take us a long time to get there, but the information would be the same because the, uh, the, the, the factual information doesn't change when you can actually carry out a scientific process, scientific method. And I thought that was the interesting thing here about data and what uh, what data is going through. So, again, we take with a grain of salt the idea that he doesn't know who he is, but he does understand basics of scientific inquiry. 
and and evidence based uh, or or uh, using a a methodology to come to an answer that. No matter what, given that things like physics and chemistry all work the same way, he will be able to come up with science and, as we stated at the beginning of the show, hand them science. And hopefully, hopefully, they will be able to carry out some more of that after he's gone. I have decided to not change my name to Radioactive. But I am working on new names for John and Ken. I'm picking out a segue for you. No ordinary segue will do. I don't know if I have that exactly right, but it's uh, that's not uh, Saturday Night Live, of course. That is uh, Steve Martin. It is Steve Martin. Yeah, from the yeah. classic movie The Jerk. And be sure, be, uh, be sure to stay tuned for our Steve Martin podcast. Coming up in 2150 them. It is now time for us to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings, or to uh, yeah, sort of go over the messages, morals, and meanings of this episode and, and decide for ourselves whether or not we think this episode holds up. Uh, the episode, of course, is Thine Own Self. And I uh, start with that with you, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, answering from mine own self, um, I can tell you that my... Uh, I, my notes on this are pretty short. Um, I, I feel like the episode holds up with the exception of the B plot feeling very separate from the A plot. Um, with the exception of that, we have some really solid Star Trek here. I love Talur's confidence in her own ideas. Mm-hmm. And I love that she changes when presented with new evidence. We've talked about this on the show before how that is one of the most impossible things for people to do, which is to actually change your mind, change your perception of things when presented with new evidence that's better than the evidence you had before. Um, So this is an interesting uh, look at our own human history of, uh, of scientific development. It's, an interest it, it just the the scene with her explaining the four elements the the uh, earth wind fire and water which would have totally changed the dynamic of that name of that band um <laughs> so hey uh, stuff like that i i thought was great it, it's this little kind of nutshell view of of our own discovery of the scientific method and just transplanted to this other planet far far away with people who don't exist so uh so that was cool and it was mm-hmm. a pretty decent data story as well although again unfortunate that we don't actually have his memory at the end of the episode um and i thought the deanna story was fine it just felt disjointed that they were just jumping between two episodes the entire time mm-hmm. um but yeah but i i think it's a good episode i think it holds up it's got big ideas presented in in an easily digestible story um and and definitely some drama in it by uh, what data goes through and then getting getting killed on, the, on this planet um <laughs> yeah it definitely raises the stakes there so uh i do like it quite a bit uh how about you ken well you say it raises the stakes except we know the data is going to live of course but then like any stakes are actually completely gone when he doesn't remember it Mm -hmm. that's that's going to be one of two things that i have an incredible amount of difficulty with in this episode Hmm. uh the other is the character scoran 
not unlike the episode um, Phantasms, the one mm-hmm. where you know the mindless parasites were depicted as manual labors. That's actually right. not what the episode was about, but that was the thing. That, that was the biggest problem that I had with Phantasms. Was was the mindless parasites? The things that were trying to destroy everything were just like the guys with pickaxes, right? Yeah, yeah. I really hate the depiction of Scorin in this episode. Huh. Um, our elected official is good, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, some are, some aren't. That's okay. Our learned science person is good, which is great. Yeah. And and I really like the fact, as you say, that when, you know, she's challenged, she's skeptical, but I mean, she should be. Yeah. And yeah. she's also curious, as she should be. And she learns and she grows. That's great. She's willing to learn from the presentation of new ideas. Somebody had to be the bad guy in this episode. Yeah. Might as well be Scorin. Um his his evil theoretically is based on his fearfulness. Mm-hmm. And I'd have been okay if Scorin was, you know, just fearful. I'd have liked it better, honestly, if Data had befriended the blacksmith and his daughter mm-hmm. and the power structure tried to keep Data down, sort of like um um first contact, the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just because of my inherent distrust of authority. Hmm. <laughs> Somebody had to be afraid. Somebody had to be the bad guy because of their fear. So flip a coin, it's scoring. That's yeah. fine. Except he also deals dirty. He and Garvin agreed on 20 Doriks. Uh, then he lied to Garvin and said it was 15. And now, instead of us having, okay, well, somebody has to be afraid, and so we're going to make it this guy, now we have a segment of society again that we're, that we're casting aspersions on. Same as the mindless drones that were trying to destroy everything in Phantasms. Right. I think the reason I dislike it um, well, there are two. I mean, it, once again, it puts manual labor and manual laborers on a lower level. And second, it makes fear evil. I think fear on a societal level is shouldn't be mocked, honestly. It shouldn't be vilified. It should be addressed. It should be educated. Um, it's fine if you want to make the fearful villager fearful. That's bad, and that's okay, because we can bring him back from that. But he's duplicitous. Hmm. You know, then he's the mechanic who always tries to screw you every time, you know, you go to the mechanic because you don't know about cars, and they just, like, tell you whatever. Or he's the plumber that takes too long to pad the bill, right? He's the tropes that separate classes in people's minds. And I think it's a crappy thing for Star Trek to do repeatedly. And maybe it's small and maybe it's stupid. But if we think that the little things where, you know, Spock at the end or alt Spock at the end of Mirror Mirror says, I will consider it. If we think those little throwaway lines are like, you know, good little seeds that can grow in the minds of the viewer, then we got to figure that these bad seeds are, are, are seeds that can grow in the minds of the viewer as well. Oh, yeah, that guy. He's stupid. All he does is make things with his hands. Hmm. I, I, I don't like it. I, I don't know why it bothers me as much as it does, except I think, honestly, it was when he ended up trying to, I can't think of a better term, I'm sorry, when he ended up trying to screw Scorn out of the five Dorix. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really it. Scorn and the five Dorix, by the way. Oh, great one band One of the name. best bands. Yeah, yeah. A little folky for some people, uh-huh. but when he tries to screw Garvin out of the five Dorix, then it's like, he's evil now. He wasn't just fearful. Look, I'm afraid of all kinds of things. I'm, I have said on this show before, I am more governed by fear than I would like to be. And I would like to be better than that. And I'm okay if we have a character on screen who's governed by fear and we would like for them to be better than that. But this guy's just a bad guy. Yeah. And, and, and to then say, well, there's that class of society. You know, because we have we have the learned scientist who's wonderful and we have the the wise uh, magistrate who's great. 
and then the one guy who actually makes something yeah is a is a is a is a tool <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind my use of the term um that part bothers me and i don't I, I i don't know why that part bothers me as much as it does but boy does it really the rest of it i love yeah i mean i i, I get it i i get your argument completely and i think you answered it early on which is to say well somebody had to be the bad guy if i go back to the galileo story well if they yeah. paralleled that more closely then um Sure, then make the power structure, <laughs> make that the evil here, make, mm-hmm. make that the structure that has the most to lose and therefore the most to fear. Um, and that would have been a very different story. And I don't know if you could have told all of that in the the half or two thirds of this episode that take place with uh, with Data's story. It it doesn't bother me only to the extent that, yeah, they, they had to throw that to a character somehow. Well, no. No, I, the one thing I'm going to disagree, and I know it's a it's a it's a it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. Nobody had to be bad. Somebody had to be fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's okay to tell the story. Somebody had to be afraid and flip a coin on who it's going to be at that point. That's fine. Yeah. But he was also a bad guy. I mean, when when he tries to steal, when he tries to, when he lies mm-hmm. to the other mm-hmm. guy for personal gain. You're not just fearful anymore. You're 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 terrible, and that's and 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 that's the part that I have that I have problem with. It should have been bad enough that he was afraid. That does not make him a bad guy. That makes him someone with whom you can work. Yeah. But you know, oh, he's fearful and he's a cheat. Well, I can't work with these people because he's cheating. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's. I I I get it. I get it. It it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you, but I understand. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a fantastic. Well, that and the fact that Data forgets. Otherwise, I think it's a fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, rife, should I say, rife with messages? Rife with messages. What are they, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, look, the the story, the thing that intrigues me is that it, it's about science and it's about how we grow beyond superstition. That that right away that that's going to, uh, you know push all those pleasure centers in my brain because that's the kind of story that I like and particularly with Star Trek I like it Um, it's also about another message that I like Uh, and like I alluded to in the previous segment Data is blamed rightly about bringing the illness with him uh, into this little village but for all the wrong reasons we are very quick to look for enemies for people to blame, for people to punish. We like to ascribe intent and agency where very often there just isn't any. Sometimes mistakes happen, missteps, things simply occur without intent. And we are worse off when we're constantly looking to punish. Um, Like you said, there are characters in this who learn during that process and, and they're willing to give data the benefit of the doubt. But there are characters who are not, and and they let that fear get the best of them, and that they they act incorrectly. Um, but I, I like that part of the storytelling here, in addition to that uh, that scientific, that pro science message. Um, mm-hmm. What about yourself? Anything that I overlooked? You say that the A plot and the B plot are terribly disjointed, and I don't disagree with you, except we do have both of the. Well, it depends on who you think of as the protagonist down on the planet. Um, Talur learns. Mm-hmm. Talur is presented with things that seem impossible to her, or at the very least improbable. But she learns, and she's willing to learn. 
um, especially when someone is you know leading her to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Troy up on the ship uh, has to think differently as well. I mean, she's about helping people, right? And it's not that she's not willing. It's not that she's not able to send someone to their demise. It's her brain doesn't work that way. Right. She does not think in terms of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. She knows it. I'm sure she would say it. I'm sure she would agree with it. But that's not the terms in which she thinks. She thinks, oh, here is someone in front of me. How can I help them? She thinks very much on an individual level, I think, Mm -hmm. not on a shipwide level. And so, you know, she grows and learns as well. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a pro learning episode, John, (laughs) kind of like that and an anti superstition episode. Um, So I think I like that, too. So, yeah, yeah, those messages. I like it all. That, that, That sounds like Star Trek to me. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a good place to say Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Uh, have we mentioned that? Uh, I don't know if people know this, but Roddenberry does podcasts, John. Ooh, really? Like more than one? More than one. Yeah. There's uh, there's uh, there's uh, well, there's not see. There's this one Mission Log mm-hmm. people are listening to. There's Mission Log Live. Uh, there is Women at Warp and there's also Priority One. And a oh. great place to check out all of those is podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show specifically, golly, we'd be appreciative. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to find out more. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, masks. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Join us again next week, when John, the Neutron, Champion, and Ken, Radioactive Ray, take on another episode of Star Trek and transmission.